0: Welcome to devmode.fm, a podcast dedicated to the tools, techniques, and technologies used in modern web development. I'm Andrew Welch from NY Studio 107.
1: I'm Patrick Harrington from Miley Geeky in Boston. And I'm Matt Stein from Working Concept in Seattle.
0: And today we'll be talking with Google dev expert Jay Phelps from Citadel Securities. How you doing, Jay?
2: Hey, I'm doing excellent. How is everyone?
0: Doing good. Now welcome good. aboard. And we're, we're going to be talking to you about a little something called WebAssembly. So if you were out in the Plot River in Nebraska noodling for catfish and some fellow noodler walked up to you and said, and you know, he's got a catfish clamped around his arm. And he said, hey, Jay, what is this WebAssembly thing? Like, what would you
2: tell him? Man, if it was that extreme, uh, I would it's probably just, oh, man. It is something to, if wow, to that extreme, it would be like, it's a, a machine. Like come on, the cat,
0: the catfish is flopping around, man. Yeah, it's, it's flopping, flopping around.
2: <laughs> it's, a, it's a machine language for the web. So, its goal is to to improve performance for certain things but also make certain programming language a better target for the web, to be able to ship them in smaller bundle sizes, faster startup times, those sorts of things. It's really complementary to the existing web architecture. So it's not aimed to replace anything. It's aimed to complement and extend the web to open up more possibilities. There are cases where, you know, it might be a better fit to replace certain things, but that's not really the goal. The goal isn't to like kill JavaScript or anything like that.
0: I think you killed the catfish. (laughs) Oh,
2: I am so sorry, Mr. Catfish.
0: No, but so if if on the web, if we want to run any code... It's JavaScript,
2: right? Yeah, but historically that has been the case. If you want to run any code, and it's you want it to be standardized, you know, because there's Flash and ActiveX and all this stuff. But if you want it to, be, we we won't talk about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I said the F word. Yeah, uh, but yeah, if, if historically that's been the case, it, in JavaScript was your only way of running code, and so so what's
0: wrong? What's wrong with just having JavaScript? Why do we need well, this WebAssembly thing anyway?
2: So the biggest the biggest thing is that JavaScript's a great language. And it's the biggest failing, there's failings, you know, every language has imperfections, but the biggest failing is that it's designed for human beings to read and write by hand, right? It's a programming language. So that means it's not designed to be a good compilation target, meaning you write in a different language that's not JavaScript and you compile that down to it it's not designed for that. It's not a good compilation target. So if you wanted to use a different language, like we can first start just by talking about choice, right? If you just choose to use a different language, just because you prefer it, let's say you prefer C++, or you prefer Rust, or even a more dynamic language, like let's say, or like a, a more higher level language like Java, or Go, or even Python, Ruby, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. Let's say you prefer one of those languages. Historically, your only option was to compile that down to javascript and while it will work you know javascript's Turing complete so you can compile any programming language in the world to it it won't run at the performance that you would come to expect for that language and it will and it has Lots of other caveats as well that come with it. But it was a good stopgap measure. And so WebAssembly fills that gap. It allows you to, allows more choice in the language you use. So you can choose a language that better suits the use case.
0: Yeah, okay, that makes sense. And I always thought it was a little bit unfair that JavaScript came along and then someone said, hey, you know what? I think we should run this on a server. And they came along and they came up with Node.js that I'll yeah. be be—I'll be perfectly honest with you. When I first saw Node.js many years ago, I thought they were insane. Sure. Like, I'm, like, I'm like, really? You're going to run JavaScript on my Linux box? I don't think so. Sure. In any event, but I thought it was a little bit unfair that they could just take JavaScript, this front-end language, and say, okay, we're going to run it on the server. But you can't take, for instance, like PHP. And then do the reciprocal thing and run that in a front-end browser, right? Because there's just no way to do it because it has to be running JavaScript. But it sounds like with WebAssembly, there are ways to write things in many languages and then compile it down
2: to something that can be run in the browser. Yeah, that's right. And ju- just to, to clarify a little bit, it's it's not that you necessarily couldn't do those things. Like You can hmm. compile to JavaScript. It's just because it's not oh, designed <laughs> to be that, it's... You know, it's it's like it just was not. It it, it won't perform, and and you won't have the Jay, smaller
0: Jay. file. I've had I've had enough of a headache reading the various <laughs> JavaScript people have actually written. I can't even imagine what like PHP compiled JavaScript would look like. <laughs> sure, 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 <laughs> totally, oh, yeah.
2: yeah. And and so that's the goal, really, of WebAssembly is just to enable those things. Now we're really early in that goal in the in the grand scheme of. How standards go, and especially a machine language, which is you know a fairly low level thing, and requires there's a lot of moving parts. But we're pretty early in that, so you won't be you won't be compiling your PHP to to WebAssembly right now. God, I you, hope not. You you can. Um, there is a PHP experimental compiler out there that people have written. Um, no. Yeah. Oh yeah. There's name <gasps> a language, and probably someone has already started to experiment with compiling it to WebAssembly. Um, oh my god. <laughs> but it's. It, um, so right now, let me, I guess, step take a step back. So right now, yeah. the, the V1 of, of WebAssembly, the goal of it was to try not to repeat the same mistakes that we made with ES2015 or ES6. So mm-hmm. the mistake we made was trying to cram everything into one big release. We knew we needed Got something, and it took forever. It took you know over a decade to get really to fruition what ES6 ended up being. And so to try and not make that mistake, it was decided early on that the MVP would be fairly low-level and fairly stripped down to just the fundamentals, a machine language that can run on the web that is designed for fairly low-level use cases. So, So you'll be writing in things like C, C++, or Rust... These are systems languages that are, that don't have things like garbage collection. That's one of the big things. But they also don't have a lot of like super dynamic behaviors.
0: When you say low level, like yeah. what would define that? What do you mean by what would be low level code? Like I get conceptually that what you mean is you're not going to write something in WebAssembly that controls a checkbox, checking on or off, right? But what what is something uh, you, low level? You can,
2: you can, but for the most part... What it what low level really means is that it it doesn't have dynamic features or things that require garbage collection. Um, these are th- like so. Let me give you an example. The, the the most obvious example is that for the most part, things sh- to perform to perform well under WebAssembly, things should be statically typed. Or mm. at least have the guarantee that if it's not statically typed, like because C is, is "quote unquote" statically typed, but <laughs> because you could do things like pointer arithmetic, you can basically access addresses directly and do math on them. You can totally it's very,
0: break. very to the metal. Yeah,
2: you can yeah. you can totally break the type system, right? And when oh, that happens, then the app just <laughs> stops working, right? The browser doesn't crash or anything like that, but you know there is no dynamic code that's like protecting you from this or something like that. Um,
0: it, well, it gets it gets worse though. I mean you you can in C, first of all, if you do something wrong, it may just not compile. Sure. Right? Yeah. Or if you actually compile, but you have something wrong, your application or your tool or whatever, it definitely can just seg fault and then just crash and die. And I actually just got started doing this early enough on that if you made a mistake, there was no memory protection. Your computer just reboots. <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> can you imagine? Like these days, if you make a mistake, you see this nice little error in your JavaScript console. But back in the day, man, you made the same mistake. You're turning the computer off and back on again. <laughs> yeah.
2: It Blue sucked. screen is back. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Now, now thankfully WebAssembly does protect us from those sorts of things. It's because right. it's it's a virtualized machine language. So it's a mm-hmm. machine language but it's a vir- for a virtual machine. It does isolate those sorts of things. So if you have okay. the equivalent, if you dereference a null pointer, if you're familiar, if anyone's familiar with that, if you dereference a null yep. pointer, you call a function that, or you try and read a variable that actually is not in memory, it's not going to crash your browser, it's not going to crash the operating system. It will throw an error that, that, you know, if you don't have any kind of uh, handler to handle this or what have you, the app just will stop working and there it is like there that's the end of that's the end of your application it'll just be dead right and the console will have an error message but the error message won't be particularly helpful if you actually do dereference um, a null pointer so but its so it's a similar a similar experience to the c c++ type of thing except we're gonna the virtual machine does protect you from this, those things and protect you as, as as in protect the user from from those things and and on a similar vein there's it's it's too complicated to explain on a podcast But there's actually, the way the machine itself, the virtualized machine was designed, it actually protects you from a certain class of exploits. Not all exploits, but for example, the most easiest, most common exploit in the world, the stack overflow, right? You buffer overflow, inject some arbitrary code, and then jump to that address somehow. And you've now owned the system, right? Well, in WebAssembly, that actually does not work. It is actually not even possible, even if you're writing really poor C. Now, you you can overflow a stack and you can overflow buffers, right? You can do that because Mm -hmm. the specification allows you to do that. However, when you do that, if you injected some WebAssembly code into there or something like that, you will never be able to jump to it. Fundamentally, how the machine is designed isolates... What things you can jump to and what things you can't. And the, the mm. things that are stored in memory, basically the functions and, and procedures and stuff like that, are not stored in the same memory as your stack and your heap and all that stuff. So it's fundamentally impossible to do that. Now, that, to be very clear, there are definitely exploits you can still do, right? You know, like you, if you have indirect jumps, if you're familiar with those, like dynamic function call type of things, and you already had a function that also could be jumped to, you could possibly, you know, figure out a way to. X exploit that and jump to another function and stuff like that. But you can't. Hold on, hold on. But
0: but before we hack our our WebAssembly stuff, let's take take a step back.
2: Yeah, I get excited sometimes. It's okay.
0: Let's, Let's take a step back. And let's say that we've got this chunk of code. Let's say that we wrote it in, so I've been, I decided, you know, what the heck, I've been thinking about it for a while anyway, I'm going to start learning Rust, right? So in preparation for this podcast, I've been trying to learn a little bit of Rust, and I'm going through the Rustlings, you know, the little tutorial <laughs> examples that they have and all that kind of stuff. So say, yeah, that's what they call it. They call it Rustlings. and. Let's say I've I've got a little bit of Rust code. I wrote this Rust code, and let's say it does something uh, very you know processing oriented, like maybe it it compresses audio. Right. And I've got to, I wrote it in Rust. I can run Rust-C on it, and it executes, and all that kind of good stuff happens. What are the stages that I can then take it from Rust into something that? can be used by web or can be used in the browser like how, how does that transition happen what's going on there
2: yeah so it in rust in particular is a phenomenal example, just because Rust, the core team itself, has decided to make WebAssembly a first-class citizen to really, really double down on the WebAssembly experience. Mm-hmm. And because of that, it's actually pretty easy to do. To, to if if you do choose to use Rust, it's pretty easy to consume that in your app. Let's say that you're writing a utility library. You're not writing your whole app in Rust, and that utility library is then going to be used in JavaScript. You're going to call that. Mm-hmm. Um, there's Uh, A project that the Rust team has called uh, Wasm BindGen that basically gives you ability to expose methods and functions and, and what have you to the outside world, to JavaScript. And so when you use those, you use those—they're um, preprocessed directives or macros, actually. But when you use those, you're exposing those as exports. And then when you compile it, you—all you need to do is load the WebAssembly binary using the fetch API, pass that into the WebAssembly uh, compilation c- constructor, and then you get an object back. And this is in JavaScript, by the way. So in JavaScript, mm-hmm. you do that—you'd get an object back that contains all of the exports of that of that library, and they're well, just. JavaScript functions, like you can invoke them just like how you would any other JavaScript functions. And Rust will do the job of marshalling, converting the values from a JavaScript thing to a WebAssembly thing.
0: But at a fundamental level, like when I write this Rust and I run Rust-C to compile it, the output is going to be something that is in that native processor's architecture that it can actually just like run it, right?
2: By default, yes. Yeah, you do have to, there's a flag to basically, just like if you were compiling it to ARM or some other CPU or some other target some other operating system. You pass in a flag and that flag tells it, oh, WebAssembly, that's what I want to target. And there's actually well, okay. well
0: that's what I was getting at is that yeah. instead of like I was talking about, if I just build it natively, like I'm just building something mm. for Rust. That that compiles it for that. But then oh. if I want to move it to WebAssembly, what ends up happening is it gets it doesn't get compiled down to the the processor's architecture. It gets compiled down to this virtual machines bytecode right? That's right.
2: Yeah. Conceptually, I think it's helpful. And some people probably don't. But I think it's helpful to think of WebAssembly the same way you would think of any other machine um, language, like to think of it as if it were x86 or ARM or some other CPU. And so, you know, when you're writing, if you're writing a code base, that's going to be used cross-platform, going to be used in native and on web, yeah, you would you would implement it the exact same way as if you were targeting multiple CPUs.
0: And then the fun part is like, if I'm using Webpack as part of my build system, I can load this thing just like I would load a JavaScript module and it will just like load. Exactly.
2: Right? Yeah. Webpack actually, they got a a, a grant from the Mozilla Foundation to add, to add support for WebAssembly specifically. And there's Rust loaders and C++ loaders, or you can just load WebAssembly modules just off the shelf or something like because I think most most people are probably not going to be writing their own code right and I think right. it's probably a good time to, to mention that if you're like I don't write rust I don't write C++ why is this interesting to me oh believe me it still is we just kind of got down that track so there's there's right. utilizing I would say most people are probably just going to utilize webassembly rather than compiling to webassembly so as, gonna- as a
0: perfect example when we were prepping for this show <laughs> right? this is this is pretty amazing Patrick and and Matt you're gonna be amazed by this so to record this show we something called ZenCaster, right? And does does local recordings, all that kind of stuff. Sometimes, sometimes. <laughs> stop, stop. Hey. And, then Jay, and then Jay was just like, "Hey, you know what? I want to check something." And he comes back a second later, and he's just like, "Yep, ZenCaster is using WebAssembly." What? All right. So. It, hmm. it is. So Zencaster is loading a, uh, just the same way that your average website would load a JavaScript that it runs and executes. Zencaster is loading a WASM file that actually what it does is it looks like it does the MP3 encoding and it loads that. So this Zencaster that we've been using for, God, like uh, almost two years is using WebAssembly and we had no idea. Sure. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> huh. But uh, Patrick and Matt, I want to ask you, you two, that you've been hearing Jay and I go back and forth. Are, are you lost? Are you still with us on the the Platte River in our noodling expedition? Or are there any questions you've got about it about WebAssembly? Uh, yeah, we- yeah. I mean, go ahead, Patrick.
1: Yeah, I mean, the word assembly threw me for a long time. I haven't looked at WebAssembly mostly because I assumed you had to code an assembly to actually get anything done. I thought it was just literally writing assembly, going back to like computer science one eleven. Right, and
2: and there's actually a funny joke about that. So inside the WebAssembly community, there's a there's the uh, joke that you'll hear that WebAssembly neither web nor assembly, and that's that's because it actually. And I would love to talk about this probably more near the end, but WebAssembly is actually not specifically just for mm. the web, and it's not an assembly language, it's a bytecode.
0: <laughs> so, okay, okay.
2: so who is in is... the
0: branding department?
2: Right, right. Jay? It just sounds too big. <laughs> it was, it was going to be an assembly language at first, like a textual thing, and then it was going to be an AST, and then it was eventually a bytecode that's a stack machine. But so, it just stuck, you know, because it's hip and cool and sounds sounds technical. And, and there is an assembly language for the bytecode, though. So, if you do, it's called Watt, WAT, W-A-T. Mm-hmm. If you do want to write the WebAssembly by hand, um, you can. And no, it's don't, don't, actually don't. not what you might think. Yeah. Well, no, like, I
1: didn't try to write that. Yeah. I, I, I tried to write a, a C++ hello world earlier today, and it then lovingly pointed me towards uh, line 116 of my uh, assembly code. And, oh, and yeah, and I was like, oh, I, I don't know. I guess it didn't like io stream, maybe. Yeah. Uh,
2: yeah. Yeah. So if you're using Emscripten, uh, you'd have to enable the uh, source map support.
1: Okay. Okay, special. Flag but
0: you're right. Point. You're right, Jay. Though that assembly language is something that a lot of people that have never done anything with it, they're like, "Oh, it's some like magical thing." Honestly, I think most assembler. I say most because some are really difficult, but most are not that bad because they're they're really simple. They're, the biggest thing is they're just incredibly boring.
2: Yeah, they're, they're too simple. They're so <laughs> simple that it's like yeah. it's difficult to get anything done by hand because you have to do everything yeah. yourself.
0: It's like Matt. So, Matt likes to do a lot of his own stuff. So, before Matt can even take a shower, he's got to go out and he's got to make his own soap, right? Mm -hmm. And then he's got to grow the cotton to make his own towel and he's got to do all this kind of stuff and only then can he actually take a shower. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's similar in WebAssembly in that, or or, sorry, not WebAssembly, Assembly in general. You got to do Everything by hand, okay. <laughs> like it is, it is
2: brutal. And Web as- yeah. WebAssembly is is fairly the same. I mean, there is an yeah. implicit call stack because it's a stack machine, but it is very right. low level. There's no concepts of structs and right. objects and stuff like that. You're just loading and storing from a giant heap of memory. Now, right. to be very clear, though, because this, is where some people get tripped up, we're talking, we're kind of going back and forth between talking about WebAssembly itself and mm. using WebAssembly as a compilation target. So, if you're using mm. WebAssembly as a compilation target you don't have to worry about any of that. Like right. your your programming language abstracts away all of, it handles that stuff for you. It has the concept of objects. It has the concept of structs and fields and methods. We're just talking about the low level primitive of what WebAssembly is itself. It doesn't yeah, So if
0: I wanted to, I can just write something in Rust after I've gotten confidence by going through all my Rustlings, right? I can write something in Rust and it'll output it and then I can load it Via Webpack, and I don't have to know any of the magic that happens in
2: between. Exactly, right? that is the goal. Yeah. yeah.
3: So Jay, the last time I touched C C plus was in a um a high school computer lab, and it was you just told, after we you did were told Pascal.
0: To, you were told to back away slowly <laughs> from the computer. <laughs>
3: that's right. That's right. They said you should you yeah. should look into design. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> so that's where, that's what I'm wondering. Um, where my background's in design, that's why I'm yeah. allowed to do that. Um. <laughs> When is ActionScript three going to be a compile target?
2: Oh man, oh! I have no idea. I have not. I know there has been some folks who have done who uh, are attempting to compile. By the way, I don't know if that was a joke or serious question. But
0: I don't know
3: either. Yeah, yeah I just I put it that way to see how you answer. Right.
2: That. Uh, there, I have not heard if anyone is actually attempting to do AS three to to WebAssembly. It actually seems like eventually it'll be a good target, but oh. um, currently yet. <laughs> And we can touch on that okay. in a bit, but I know there is a, uh, there is effort to get the, there's an open source implementation of Flash, the Flash virtual machine. And there is a, a, a work to get that compiled to WebAssembly so that you could run Flash without any plugins, hmm. which oh. I think has a lot of merit, right? Think about enterprise type of systems. Like, you know, let's say you've got a Flash app, which a lot of enterprise companies probably do. They've got a Flash app that's been running for, you know, decades or if not just decade and they wanna they want to upgrade but they you know they can't because they need to they need to keep that old flash version webassembly could be a really great use case to enable those people to upgrade their browsers and get rid of old buggy flash or something like that
0: well next year is the year right isn't the 2020 isn't that when flash dies that's
2: what I heard but I haven't checked
0: into it in mm. a number of years
3: I mean I think it's already under hospice care right. I mean it, it's <laughs> not like it's thriving
0: okay that's when Adobe is actually officially pulling the plug right. I
3: should say and well I keep uh, I, this seems like a good application even if it's not flash or action script it was mostly a joke but um, there are you know galleries and, and like complex visual presentations that take a lot of horsepower to produce that still probably aren't managed or relate to web stuff and I always wonder what people use to, to make those things right. and it sounds like this is kind of an exciting place for, for that kind of work sure. to be you know, web friendly.
2: Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of, like if you wanted to get everything with Flash moving, like compile the WebAssembly without the virtual machine, it can be a little difficult because, you know, if you built the binary with with like the the builders, like you know, the, an actual like UI builder crossing that boundary might be a little difficult. But as far as like getting the language itself to compile to WebAssembly, uh, that's completely doable at this point. Performance, this, so so let's say this kind of I think is a good segue to another point that a lot of people don't write Rust, a lot of people don't write C plus especially on the web. Um, mm-hmm. So why is this interesting? Besides consuming stuff, well we're going to get to a point where you're going to have more choice in higher level languages, languages like your Dart, and your Reason, and Elm, and AS3, and those sorts of things, those garbage collected, maybe they have some dynamic sort of features, those are going to be able to compile to WebAssembly and perform better than how they perform today compiling JavaScript. We're not quite there yet. And the big biggest kicker is garbage collection. But we're going to get there. And, mm-hmm. and I think that's it's really going to be like the big renaissance for the average developer so that we, we have choice and we can iterate and, you know, like I think I can see a future where a TypeScript like language gets a decent amount of traction. I I wouldn't go as so far to say as it replaces JavaScript or like dominates the market or something like that. But For very complex, big apps, yeah, I can absolutely see something like that dominating in that small segment of the world.
0: So that that, that makes me think of an interesting question. Does that mean we could see WebAssembly encroaching on territory that Babel, for instance, typically has occupied?
2: Um, absolutely. I think I, I, I think these there's 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 different things, right? There's fundamentally JavaScript has a huge head start in so many ways. I mean, first off, it's a really great language that's really easy to learn. It's very forgiving. You can make stupid mistakes, and it will forgive you. And, and you know and you can mix types and all sorts of cool things. And so getting started in the average developer, you can be very productive in JavaScript, more productive than you'll be in some stat- statically typed language that everyone's talking about or something like that. But there is there does come a point where you're writing a significantly complex app, and you want those niceties. You want that static mm-hmm. type checking. You want it to complain and not fix things for you. And I think we're going to get to a point where a language does get popular for those sorts of cases and less people, I mean, we're seeing that already, not even with WebAssembly, that more and more people are moving away from Babel to TypeScript. And so this is sort of an evolution of that, of imagine, now you won't be just to, to clear something up. This is a common question. Will we be compiling TypeScript to WebAssembly? And the answer to that is TypeScript as it exists today? No. And the fundamental problem is that TypeScript is a superset of JavaScript. It's bolting mm. types on top of JavaScript, so the same problems right. that come with JavaScript come with WebAssembly. And compiling the the next question would be, well, why is compiling JavaScript to WebAssembly prob- problematic? And it's not that you couldn't do so. In fact, JavaScript Core, the the JavaScript engine that that um, is in Safari, has already been compiled to WebAssembly, so you can run Safari's JavaScript engine inside so JavaScript is inside just Safari's JavaScript engine. If that makes sense, like why? mind melt. Oh. Um, why? <laughs> why? Uh, first off, just to do it. But also, like, yeah, there okay. could be some benefits to security. You can run isolated code, um, not completely isolated, but nothing is ever completely isolated. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, you could you could see some use cases for those sorts of things.
0: But, it, but isn't everything already run in a VM? Like, I don't... Uh, okay. So it it it, anyway,
2: but you could let someone run isolated JavaScript, which today you cannot do. There is no reliable way to control a JavaScript environment. There's a proposal for, like, custom realms and stuff like that, but it has not yet shipped so if you wanted to be able to allow people to run arbitrary javascript and you control everything you control the realm like what's available are there timers are there alerts are there any of those stuff you can control it completely by running your own virtual machine inside the virtual machine
0: but anyway yeah i mean the the reason i was asking the question regarding babel is and and by the way how do you people pronounce it is it babel or babel
2: Oh my God! Oh, here we go. It's, uh, I've heard both ways. I have heard both to be ways, Babel. but I would doesn't say it? I hear ba- I hear Babel more often. Of
1: course. Yeah, yeah, Tower of Babel. Yeah, yeah. Who, who ever
0: talked about the Tower of Babel? <laughs> I, I was look. I was listening to West Boss not just a couple days ago, when and he was, he was talking going, about Laravel. He was talking about Babel. Well, if
1: Wes said it, I'm inclined to actually believe that this might be one of <laughs> well, the you know, broken clock being right.
2: Right. I mean, yeah. Sebastian is being Andrew. On this. He's, like, said it both ways before in the same sentence, just to troll people. So yeah. I, I have.
0: Well, okay, it it could be that. But I guess what I mean is like, okay, at a higher level or so at a fundamental level, we've got this JavaScript thing, right? And this is the one thing where we can run code on the web. And then lots of people are like, well, I don't really like JavaScript or I want to run, you know, ES7 stuff now and, you know, whatever. So we have a process so we compile it down to plain old ES5 JavaScript. Or people say, I don't like JavaScript at all. Like, I want to use CoffeeScript or I want to use, you know, whatever, uh, some other language or Elm. And you said that there's... (laughs) php that compiles down to javascript it, couldn't we like swap out the layer and say no, no no that stop stop compiling to this dynamic language this interpreted language just swap that in for WebAssembly and compile it that way is it is that what you think might be happening in the future is that people that were doing that kind of uh, i don't well, know you're, sean's you're, gonna get mad at me let's call it transpiling right if they're doing that kind of transpiling would they might shift to doing it to the WebAssembly
2: target. Absolutely, I think um, okay. we're not quite there yet, mainly because of some of some features that are missing in WebAssembly to make it perform well. But mm. absolutely, that is the goal. It's the absolute okay. stated goal is that if you're going to compile to the web and your language is not really close to JavaScript, then compiling to WebAssembly will eventually be the the preferred solution. So you're
0: all right. There's an elephant in the room now, Jay, and he wants some peanuts. If this WebAssembly stuff is so awesome and so much faster, why don't we compile JavaScript down to WebAssembly instead yeah, of interpret instead of running it through an interpreter? Mm. Why don't we just
2: compile it? Well, it's really, really complicated to truly understand. So that you can, it's really easy to poke holes with my arguments because,
0: and I'm I'm really dumb too. So talk slowly.
2: <laughs> but. <laughs> It's, it's, it's really, complicated. it would take too long and, and okay. impossible to explain, but I can give high level details of like, imagine you're age. talking to a 12 year old, go ahead. Well, <laughs>
3: uh, 12 year old say,
2: eating a catfish. Yeah. I would say go play outside. Yeah. Okay. Fair, fair enough. Fair
0: enough.
3: Fair enough.
2: But uh, So the, the fundamental problem is just JavaScript is a very dynamic language. Now you okay. may not be writing very dynamic code but it's capable of doing very dynamic things. I see. And so you can do it. You can. It is, it is totally possible and it's already been done compiling JavaScript to WebAssembly, but it won't perform as well as the built, built-in virtual machine. Why? Because the virtual machine, because JavaScript is very dynamic, it uses just-in-time compilation. So while you're like tr- traditional... Uh, javascript runtimes just to used to used to plainly interpret it but these days what they do is they co- they'll compile the code to like a naive version of machine code with a bunch of dynamic checks some runtime checks to make sure that things are a certain type mm-hmm. but every time you invoke that function it's going to check was i right like I mean, it's going to guess about the types Got and be it. like okay this was a number this is actually a 32-bit integer it's going to guess that and every time it checks was I right? Was I right? Was I right? And after a while, it it decides, I'm pretty confident that you're actually calling this always with the same signature. So I'm going to make a copy of this function with optimized code around that.
0: Right. So it's got an optimizer that runs and it analyzes the code as it actually runs.
2: Exactly. And it, it it proves, it creates, it, it detects and proves what's statically typed, what's not. And it can fall back too. It can be like, oh, this wasn't actually statically known and this is wrong. And so that's, you know, there's decades of incredibly the smartest programmers in the world building this stuff. And trying to compile now imagine WebAssembly where it doesn't have any of that it doesn't have any of that, you know, everything has to be statically typed, guaranteed. Mm -hmm. And so that means you either have to ship an interpreter or you have to ship all these runtime checks.
0: Yeah, so it sounds like part of what made JavaScript awesome—the fact it's dynamicism and some of the evolution of the language—was based on the fact that it was interpreted, and that very thing is what is making it difficult to compile it.
2: Yeah, I think I think that sounds. This sounds like we're on the same page. Like, right. it's not that you can't write code that it, that looks statically typed, but the compiler doesn't know that. It can't right. infer that because there's no. JavaScript is just too dynamic of a language. And it's and, pretty
0: lame for a compiler to say, eh, it'll work for yeah, 95%
2: yeah, of your code.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So
2: That's not good. <laughs> but all is not lost because just because JavaScript has all these dynamic features doesn't mean that you couldn't write code that looks like JavaScript that isn't JavaScript, technically. Mm, like right. a superset of JavaScript that can be statically inferred and compiled to WebAssembly and perform really well. Let's that is JScript yeah, yeah, right. We've <laughs> already experiments with this in fact. like there's yeah. um, there's a, a project called AssemblyScript, which is yep. a, a combination of a bunch of projects. There was a, a turboscript, thin script, all these projects sprung up, and then they all combined forces around AssemblyScript. And the goal of it is basically long term to create a typescript like language but without all the dynamic stuff so that it can be compiled to WebAssembly and perform incredibly well it's really early so it, while some people are already using it in production for certain things you won't be writing like your whole application in it or something like that unless you're writing maybe like a, a simple game or you just love pain you know like you really love to do things hard like, um, which people do right like I, the people I follow on Twitter you know like I see people writing you know game emulators and all sorts of cool stuff in AssemblyScript and And so it's all possible, but you won't be like writing your DOM application, your CRUD application in AssemblyScript today. Eventually, absolutely, we're going to get there and you're going to have a choice of having that better developer experience. And I think TypeScript eventually will have, like right now they have options to like opt into more stricter modes, right? Mm. Or you can basically say you can't do, you lose some of those dynamic features. I wouldn't surprise me. They have this to be very clear. This is not on their public roadmap, but it's definitely something they're they're keeping their eye on it would not surprise me if eventually typescript said we're going to have a mode that does compile to WebAssembly that mm. you optimize. You say I don't want any of these dynamic features, and I want to optimize. I want to, to opt into a very strict subset. And that doesn't mean that you is it's all or nothing. It, you know like your 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 code could still the your code could still interop with regular JavaScript libraries. You could still use lodash, and you could still use you know all your libraries and stuff like that. It would just cross that barrier. It would call from WebAssembly into JavaScript and vice versa, and back and forth. Your code would be WebAssembly. That other code would remain JavaScript.
0: Well, to, to your point about people doing crazy demos, there was a video there, and I'll link to this in the show notes, about Dan Callahan giving a demo where, and I may have part of this wrong, but he had a, basically an OpenGL canvas, and you could walk around inside of it, and there was a computer there, and you could interact with that computer, and it was run via WebAssembly, it was running DOSBox. Oh, on the computer, and you could interact in 3D with this like computer in the the WebGL context. Yeah, you could interact with that computer and open up folders on uh, Windows for Workgroups 3.1, like running <laughs> that thing. and virtualizing.
2: Mm-hmm. And I'm looking
0: at it. I'm like, wow. what yeah. is going on, and why? It's a crazy. <laughs> deal. Yeah. Also, why? Yeah,
2: yeah. There's. I- it's so exciting because it's it's already it's so early, but there's already been lots of really cool things that people have done. Um, I'm I'm just super bullish on WebAssembly, and that makes me a little biased, obviously. But you know, I, I think I think right now for the average person, the biggest thing, to, biggest takeaway is there are there if your app is not a simple CRUD app, like if mm-hmm. your app is just a simple CRUD app, all it does is is it hits a REST API, a very simple REST API, displays the data, has a form, you submit that form to the server, and that's it. WebAssembly mm-hmm. at this point probably won't help that app
0: now. Well, there is one way it might help it, right? Aren't, aren't they talking about potentially rewriting some of the guts of some of these frameworks in Wasm? Like for instance, um, the, whatever does the, uh, the shadow dom in uh, and the, the diffing algorithm yeah. in react and in view and that kind of thing.
2: Right. But I, I was trying to make the distinction that, that in that case, even if they did do that, it wouldn't matter to you because you're Okay. Right, the right, right.
0: Okay. I'm sorry. You're right. Yeah. Go
2: sorry. Ahead. Sorry for the clarification. But the like, just the, if your app is so simple that like performance is never an issue, it's just right. simple CRUD. WebAssembly is not interesting to you right now. Now in the future, what will be interesting to you is the choice of languages. So mm. if you re- if you do really like Dart, if you like Elm, if you like this new assembly script thing, if you know that's going to be interesting to you from a developer experience, not from a performance standpoint, but from a developer experience standpoint, the choice of of doing that, but. Otherwise, if you do have performance issues, I mean, case in point, like eBay, for example, they recently did a blog post about how they're using WebAssembly. And you might think, well, where well, how the heck would they use WebAssembly? And you're not totally off base. Like it's a pretty simple crud app. Like, I mean, okay, I, I need to take a step back and undo that comment. It's not, <laughs> it's, not it's a simple premise that, like, yeah. you know, all I want to do is view a list of listings and I can buy it. Like, I mean, come on. It's not doesn't sound like it would be complicated. But there's a lot of there's a Lot of complications that come to building a very well robust.
0: Right. Jay, we yeah. will expect you to be shipping your eBay clone next. or news, I could have built that in a weekend.
2: Yeah, right, right exactly, <laughs> exactly, exactly. But Matt, so- you had
0: something you wanted to say, Matt.
3: Yeah, I'm just wondering. I mean, you're you're kind of touching on it a little bit, but who stands to benefit the most from WebAssembly right now? Like, is it a company that that's built around an Electron app, or I mean, like, who is looking at WebAssembly very excited about the future of its of, of its evolution, um, or is is there any like kind of? Um,
2: oh yeah, I mean, there's, there's ideal. There, there's people excited right now. The people excited right now. There's. First off, you can't talk about WebAssembly without pointing out that like the game people are super excited because games are a really great use case for WebAssembly. Yeah, right. Uh, the Unity. Biggest, the biggest, yeah, both Unity and Unreal Engine both already support WebAssembly as a compilation target. And the biggest issue with games and why it hasn't really like rocketed off is not technology so much as distribution model. Um, mm. There is not some de facto store where discoverability and, and people also are just so accustomed to you know, I play games on my console or I play games natively. And that's what I do. I don't just like browse to someone's website and play a game or give them my money. Like, I think that that's going to shake out, you know, some of the companies have talked about, you know, should we be doing a game store and Google's toyed around with this in the past on some on some respects. But so there's the game folks. Um, But for us normal web folks who don't do games, like, you know, I don't do games, you know, the people that get most excited are people that are going to uh, they, they have some sort of computationally intensive thing. So like the eBay example, they have a QR code reader as part of their application, their web app. Mm, okay, and that makes sense. It didn't perform well, the JavaScript version they have. And so they investigated using an off-the-shelf QR code reader library that is written in C++. And they saw it performed 50 times faster. Oh my God. So this um, is a
0: perfect case where they'll, they'll have this probably tried and true C++ library that's battle tested. And they'll be like, okay, I'll use this M scriptum thing and I'll compile this to the web and I'll load it via Webpack, and bada bing, bada boom, they got 50 times faster.
2: Sure. Yeah. And in their wow. case, the blog post is actually mm. really interesting because they wrote some takeaways. They were very good. They were very, uh, what's the word? Clear and open about the challenges that they hit and stuff like that, which is really good for, for future right. learnings. Like they weren't just like, everything was rosy and that's it. Mm. Like they explained that So one of the problems they ran into, and I don't want to spend too much time on this, but one of the problems they ran into is that the implementation of how the QR code reader works was different, right? It wasn't the same code base. So it's going to have different quirks. Some QR codes that the C plus plus one could read, the JavaScript one couldn't read, and vice versa. Like, but the, it's a standard. Yeah, you'd think, but you're you're doing image <laughs> recognition, right? Okay, that's so, true. You know how right. the algorithms you use to actually recognize those images vary, okay. and so yeah, and,
0: they, and they, they probably have a a certain confidence level cutoff too, right? Like right. they have to have seventy percent confidence, and then they'll just go
2: with it. Right. right. Exactly. And and right. They don't talk about that too much, but they do talk about, you know, they kind of, they, they start off with the WebAssembly version, and if it fails to read it, they fall back to the JavaScript version, okay. um, basically to give a better experience. But and I, and I think that there's probably better takeaways, like one takeaway might be that maybe the library they used actually just isn't that great. I don't know, because uh, I've never had to read QR codes before, but... And, you know, maybe like you said, there was, maybe it's well I just think that, I think
0: the fact like that, that you, I mean, I, I think the fact that you found that we're using Wasm without even knowing about it is really very compelling from the point of view of like, we had no idea that this was going on, but it was. Sure. Right? Yep. And everything just worked. And I think that that is a case where even if you're a web developer and you're like, look, I don't even write that much JavaScript myself. You know, I mean, sometimes I do, but usually I'm just taking packages and I'm putting stuff together. I'm never going to write my own Rust code that I'm going to build into a WASM module and load like that's just not going to happen. That's not me. That's not what I do. That's fine. But it sounds like you're still going to benefit from this because of examples like this where a library will be taken that performs better or has some kind of specific functionality and it will be bundled as a WASM module. And you're not going to know any different because you're going to pull it in from NPM and it's going to load in your browser
2: right? That's exactly right. And that's one of the beauties and one of the main goals with WebAssembly on the web is to integrate that so that like in the browser, integrate it well, but also in the tooling as well, things like Webpack, integrate it so that it becomes a transparent process so that people don't like the holy grail of my, like my goal and the goal of the community of WebAssembly is eventually we're going to not need to talk about WebAssembly (laughs) and no one's going to even know what it is. Like, how many people? If you've ever written a iOS app, how did you know that that um, that they compile down to ARM processor? Do you know a single ARM instruction? Do you know how ARM works? Of course not. Who cares? Right. And that's the beauty of tooling, and that's the goal mm-hmm. that we're going to get to. We're not quite there yet, but in some cases we are, in some cases we're not. depends on how bleeding edge type of thing you're doing. But that's the goal eventually, is that WebAssembly will just be this silent, under the hood thing that you know the, the compiler people will know about, and, and you may know that you're targeting it, but other than that, you don't really know anything. It just works. Your high level, you write your higher level code, and it just works. Or you consume your library, and it just works. Case in point, if, you've, if you use any kind of JavaScript tooling, like uh, Babel, use Webpack, use less or sass these type of projects already use WebAssembly, and you probably didn't even know that they use a project called source map and so anything that uses source map on the web almost always uses this npm package it's literally called source map source hyphen map mm-hmm. and it was written in javascript originally by the mozilla folks and when, WebAs- when WebAssembly came out they ported it to idiomatic rust they didn't do anything crazy they just wrote Normal Rust code and compile that to WebAssembly, and it was over ten x faster just by default. And they were able to push hmm. that even farther by doing some like you know special optimizations and stuff that came out from from doing the port. But that's a case in point of the consumers of the source map library didn't have to do anything special. They
0: Unless just- anyone thinks that this level of virtualization doesn't work, think about. Apple did a major transition a number of years ago, where they all of their computers ran on PowerPC, right? Mm-hmm. And then they transitioned to Intel. Did any of our our app code change when this changed over? No. Like all you did is you had a new build target, you built it to that, and they had some and a, a virtual machine that essentially ran and did stuff very similar to the way that uh, WebAssembly is working. I would imagine, sure, in terms of running this stuff. So this this is a tried and true way
1: of doing stuff, right? Absolutely. Um, so, I mean, it sounds really interesting. Patrick, you had something you wanted to say? Yeah, I mean, interesting. One thing you were saying is, you know, if you're doing the, if you're just building, you know, quote unquote, simple web pages, you know, right now, this is probably not the right thing for you yet. But down the line, it, it could be powering, not just kind of backend engineering, something, you know, that's doing audio processing, like we're, you know, speaking into right now, but it could do a lot more. How would that work with accessibility? I, I've seen some cool WebAssembly stuff, but it's just kind of like, Plastering things on a on a canvas tag and, and you know plopping into HTML. How would you know, all the things that people rely on and, and the search engines rely on if, if assembly is going to come out more from being like you know Java applets for 2019 and right. being this little self contained little guy? How are they going to really implement into the fuller web and the open web?
2: Well, it really comes so it, it you have to, to 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 really grok it. You have to go kind of low level, and we we have to separate WebAssembly as an instruction target like a, a bytecode itself. And the APIs you use to interact with the outside world. So the WebAssembly itself is actually fairly dumb. Like it basically allows, it provides you operations to be able to like compute numbers, right? You can do math. Mm-hmm. You can load. It's a simple stack.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's yeah.
2: fairly simple. So it doesn't dictate the outside world of like how do I print to the console? How do I write to the screen? Those APIs yeah. are then deferred to the host. And in the case of the browser, that's the DOM. So in in a lot of apps like you're talking about. They will, you know, if you're if you're especially if you're porting an existing C app. If you're porting an existing C GUI app, not a library, but a GUI app, it's probably gonna use Canvas because it'll treat mm-hmm. it as a frame buffer, just the same as you were, you know, on a native operating systems frame buffer. It'll write normal bitmaps to that and that's how it'll work. However, if you're writing with the web in mind, let's say that you're writing an Elm or Dart or something like that, and it's compiling to WebAssembly in some future vision, you'd use the DOM APIs, just how you use the DOM APIs in JavaScript. So you could create input tags and you can create divs and and what have you. Those APIs could get exposed to your, your programming language and you can use them the same way. So frameworks could, will, you know, uh, sprout up and there already are actually there's even ones for you know c++ and rust for there's like a a react clone written in rust like so you can write jsx like a type of thing with the macros and stuff like that and oh um, it's it's God. wild uh, yeah yeah i mean basically if you think about it people are going to do it just even if it's not a good idea they're going to do it just, like, just the envelope <laughs> so here's- and experiment
0: so here's the thing, Patrick, and, and uh, Jay, you correct me if I'm wrong here, but my understanding is that right now uh, Wasm doesn't know anything about the DOM, right? So Patrick, if you've seen an app that is running something in WebAssembly and it looks like it's you know a Java applet or something, that has nothing to do with WebAssembly. That is whatever code is surrounding it that they decided mm-hmm. to do that with the the WebAssembly chunk of it. It doesn't inter- interact with the DOM at all. It's just being called by JavaScript to do various processing, and then it's up to the host app to do whatever it wants. Is, is that correct, Jay? Like currently, Wasm stuff you you doesn't even know anything about the DOM.
2: Yeah, right? it's 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 kind of hard to wrap your head around, um, but. So WebAssembly itself, basically right now, today, you cannot ship WebAssembly without JavaScript. You need JavaScript to, first off, bootstrap the WebAssembly, but also you need JavaScript right now to do anything interesting. So if you, let's say you just load a, a WebAssembly module, it, using JavaScript, you load it up and you don't give it any kind of like imports. You don't provide anything to the WebAssembly module. Well, at that point, the only thing it can do is basically load and store for memory and crunch numbers. And that's it. And it can't, so it can't print to a console. It can't you know write to a canvas or create divs or anything like that. It has no concept of that. It has no. It's not exposed, and that's part of the MVP. That was an intentional because it's complicated to make those things interact between each other. It was decided, and I think it was the right choice, that JavaScript will act as the intermediary for now, as the V1. So JavaScript, so you, you'll hear in the JavaScript in the WebAssembly world, glue code. And when someone says WebAssembly glue code, what they mean is the JavaScript code that acts as an intermediary. So in WebAssembly, you might call a function, like you might in your C++ code call a function that says like, write to the canvas this pixel. What actually happens is you're calling a you're calling across the WebAssembly boundary into the JavaScript boundary, JavaScript is then calling the, the Canvas API on your behalf. It's delegating. Mm-hmm. And that's how it works today. However, there are a ton of proposals that are, have been in progress for the last couple of years on making WebAssembly the, a true first class citizen of the web, where eventually you're going to be able to ship WebAssembly without a single line of JavaScript. It'll be able to access the host bindings directly. And so that means it could be able to print to the console, it'll be able to write Canvas, it'll be able to create DOM nodes, all without a single line of JavaScript. The big kicker with it is is garbage collection. That's the biggest kicker. We have to have some way of representing garbage collection inside WebAssembly because right now, basically, you you can only pass numbers, essentially, into WebAssembly. And so it, under the hood has to create some sort of like a shadow, um, shadow stack where it holds a reference to the garbage collected ob- JavaScript object until WebAssembly is done with it. So we need a way of passing that object. I know that, that sounds very vague because it's a very low-level detail.
0: Well, I want to take a step back, though. For anyone who thinks that garbage collection is a thing that comes once a week to your house... <laughs>
3: So, Thank you Andrew. You
0: you got it. So I mean <laughs> sanitation workers oh
3: programming. Yes.
0: No, no, no. So I'm going to I'm going to do my best to to kind of explain it. So when you need uh, some memory to do something, you can allocate it yourself and you can deallocate it or whatever. But a lot of languages like JavaScript, you're completely insulated from this, right? You got a JavaScript object and you don't know anything about it right? In terms of what memory it's taking up or anything like that, what job is, what garbage collection is, is something that on a regular basis, some kind of interval will look through all of these things that have been allocated and it will throw out the stuff that's no longer being used. Right? So that's at like a, a very basic level. So it's a, a form of memory management when we're talking about garbage collection, we're, we're not talking about, you know, the stuff that picks up your bins at your house. Is okay? it true
3: that garbage, when you say garbage collection, it also is implied that that's something that happens automatically as part Correct. of that. Okay.
0: Well, Typically, typically, it depends on the implementation and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, it's going to be something that you, you never have to worry about, or you're not supposed to have to worry about it. Right. But, uh, Jay, to your point earlier about like crazy kids and, and the future of WebAssembly is not just the web. So, the web is neither or WebAssembly is neither Web nor Assembly. I'm, I found some stuff that said they're talking about like a, a Linux kernel. Uh, WebAssembly runtime and WebAssembly as a first-class target for the Linux kernel. Like what? What is going on? Man?
2: Yeah. What is this stuff? Yes, exactly. And I. This is where I get even more excited. So. Okay. Wow. So early on, the original people who started the WebAssembly effort, they realized. What we're doing is unprecedented. There's never been a case where all the major corporations came together. Apple, Google, Microsoft, uh, Mozilla, even Intel has helped out and Samsung. Uh, There's never been a case where these people have all come together and said, let's make a machine instruction set. And, you know, all, think name a bytecode, it's always been developed as, as a single from a single entity or, entity or was then like initially developed that way. And then kind of organically back and forth, like x86 originally designed by one, and then AMD added extensions that then the other people copied. And there's, you know, all sorts of things like that. It's never been just let's all get together and do this. And so they realized very early that this is valuable outside of the web browser. Mm-hmm. This is a very important thing. So they did a very good job. I wasn't involved at that early. I'm involved in the specification process now, kind of, but not, I wasn't involved at the the early start. So don't give me credit for this. They're genius people. They knew that and they decided we're going to make this very generic and then add extensions that are specific to the web. But so the very generic WebAssembly specification, uh, it means that you can create virtual machines for this to run it on the desktop or to even do like what you said. So there's a, a project to create a, a kernel module, a kernel extension to the Linux kernel to run WebAssembly in ring zero, which means run it directly in the kernel. Very, very, very low level. And oh, it scares sounds, the crap out of uh, me. Yeah, it scares a terrible the crap out of It's a terrible idea. And it may be a terrible idea, but the, right. the, the trick is this is unprecedented. Like traditionally running... Cl- user land apps inside the kernel is a bad idea. And that's why microkernel architectures um, sprung up, you know, keep the keep stuff out of the kernel as much as possible, because the kernel is more privileged, it's able to do things that the user land code is not. And however, Uh, Jay, Jay,
0: if I could, I want to see if this concept makes any sense. So something that's really big in the industry right now is Docker. In terms of, you can use Docker to containerize your environment and your your program, and just spin stuff up. Does it make sense in in any way to consider WebAssembly to be sort of a generic container for your binaries?
2: It. It does. And in fact, there's a, I mean, sort of, it sort of does. So, so uh, first off.
0: Your pause, your pause makes me it, think that it, I'm it's,
2: totally wrong. It, we're, we're getting into, to so, so I guess I'll start. So, so Solomon Hikes, one of the co-founders of Docker, he has a really, really saucy tweet. Saucy in the sense of like, I wouldn't have even tweeted this, but he's the co-founder of Docker and he oh. can do what he wants. <laughs> um, and nice. he, he said, if WebAssembly and WASI, which is some, it's an interface that we probably won't have time to talk about, if they existed in 2008, we wouldn't have needed to create Docker. That is how important it is. WebAssembly on the server is Mm. the future of computing. The co-founder of Docker said that. And that blows my mind when he says that. Now, I want to make, he didn't clarify this, but I'm going to guess that if he, if you did ask him about this, like you confronted him about it, I'm not gonna, I'm not, i don't want to put words in his mouth, but I'm gonna guess, and this is just my opinion, that he didn't mean that Docker, that WebAssembly replaces Docker. What he means is hmm. the use case that he had in mind originally for Docker is solved by WebAssembly.
0: Okay, so my idea no, is not that not. crazy. absolutely And there, there right?
2: are, I think, yeah. Docker versus WebAssembly. There's a lot of cases where WebAssembly makes more sense, and there's a lot of cases where Docker makes more sense. Hmm. And uh, like very briefly, one of the biggest things is that if If your only goal is basically I want to ship a self-contained application and that application, you know, interacts with an SDK with the outside world and that's it. It doesn't interact with other processes. It doesn't need the concept of an operating system. It doesn't care. And like it doesn't care that what operating system it's running on, it interacts with an SDK, and that's it. WebAssembly is the best; it's like such a good target for that on the on the server. And there's things like Cloudflare, and mm. and um, um, trying to remember who else did it. Five, trying to remember the name of it, but there's Cloudflare is like the biggest one where they're already doing that. They're experimenting with running WebAssembly on the server. And well, that that's a
0: that's a question I have for you. So one of the things that I've saw them talking about doing, them being Cloudflare. Is the concept yeah. of edge workers mm. where they're spin they're spinning up essentially what are JVM, the the V8 environments where they're just running JavaScript. Are they gonna be spinning up you know WebAssembly environments where they, they can just run arbitrary I could write something in Rust and spin it off to an edge worker? They somewhere? already
2: they already do support WebAssembly. It's not as first class, wow. like they definitely no. are. I don't know what they've talked about publicly, but there's definitely, you know, it's, oh, yeah, it's very clear <laughs> that that they're going to continue to experiment with making WebAssembly a more first-class thing. And right. and the, the real reason why it's like Docker versus WebAssembly is that Docker comes with a bunch of stuff that you wouldn't need in that case. And so the Got startup it. time of, of spawning a container at the edge so at the edge meaning when you use cloudflare workers they your application is is, is basically put in memory uh, every server farm that they have around the world. And when you request it for the first time, it gets pulled out of memory and then started up. And then if, it, if, if a request isn't made to that particular server in, in a little while, it gets spun down and put back in memory. And that is how they're able to afford to be able to have your, your stuff all across the world is by those cost savings for them. Now, if your app's constantly bombarded, then it will always stay warm, right? Now, mm. with containers... You know I don't, I don't remember the numbers off the top of my head, but it was over 100 milliseconds to, to to start up the new container. And that actually is fairly fast, but in the web world, that's a lot of latency. And that's not great. Yeah, right. That's a, that's a good right. But with yeah. WebAssembly, because we don't need to spin up an entire operating system environment like a container provides, we're able to. They're able to spin up isolates. They call them isolates. It comes from V8 very quickly. And again, I don't remember the numbers, so I don't want to to throw them out. But they were significantly many, like an order of magnitude faster. They were very quick. If I remember right, it was less than ten milliseconds. I think they were like six milliseconds or something like that. But I could be way off on the numbers. But they, I'm not way off in the sense of the the order of magnitude, though. They're 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 it's a tremendous gain and it's not magic you're just doing less work right like you don't if you don't need an entire operating system environment why would you do why would you provide one that's what a container provides and so there is still use cases for containers when you need that but when you don't it doesn't make sense and i think iot for example has been really doubling down on containers lately and i think that that's a mistake i'm not an iot expert to be clear but I have had some exposure, a decent amount of exposure, actually. I've, I've um, helped out an IoT startup. And I think it's actually a mistake to double down on containers. I think that they should be doubling down on WebAssembly uh, because in those types of use cases, they don't need, the type of use cases that I've seen at least, they don't need an entire operating system uh, environment. In fact, they end up bolting their own proprietary SDK that they're like, don't talk to the outside world, like just talk to our SDK. And that's like the perfect, perfect use case for WebAssembly.
0: Yeah, I mean, it sounds like if we're web developers, or even let's say we're not even developers at all. It sounds like WebAssembly is one of those quote unquote big ideas, TM, that is going to be affecting us and touching us in in one way or another, regardless of at what level we decide to use or engage at it. Right. Like, for instance, we were using it. We had no idea we're even using it. Right. But as web developers, we might actually embrace it for certain things or we might be bringing in packages that people maybe have created already and then dumping those in and we don't have to worry about. How it works underneath it, but if we did want to get kind of down and dirty with it, it, sounds like there's tons of fun stuff that we could be doing. But I just wanted, as we kind of wind the pat podcast down, I wanted to see if Matt, did you have a, something that you wanted to, to get in here?
3: Yeah, on the, I mean, on the note of it being a big thing, I think Jay, you're uniquely positioned to to answer this question in the most interesting way. What has been the strangest or most surprising thing that you've seen that you wouldn't have anticipated, um, just built with WebAssembly? <laughs>
2: Huh, What is the strangest thing? Um, well, I mean, at this, I, I honestly have expected a lot of strange things. So I haven't been too surprised, but I've been surprised at the rate of certain things. Like I was surprised how quickly they got windows working, <laughs> like, uh, like windows running. Windows. They're, they're running Windows. Um, Windows ninety five in WebAssembly. So you can you can go to website right now, and we can include it in the links, and you can run <laughs> Windows. And not only Windows, you can run Firefox. Like, so you can open up your Chrome browser, run Windows ninety five, and run Firefox, and surf the web in Firefox.
0: Okay, so that makes a that makes a great demo. <laughs> but what's the practical right, use? There's there is no practical. Is, it, is really? it well? Wait a minute. There might be though. There might be like if we wanted to be able to archive these things, ah, okay. yeah. right? So you know, we wanted to digitally archive and shrink wrap. So we actually had a computer that could actually. Re- it's not unthinkable that in you know a certain number of years we wouldn't have a computer that would run this stuff. Sure. So we're going to use a VM in some way, and Wasm might be a way to
2: do. Oh, it. sure. I mean, I, I,
0: <laughs>
3: it's how you get Grandpa to finally update his computer and stop complaining <laughs> <his> about <laughs> malware.
2: Just make a bookmark for Windows ninety five. <laughs> uh, yep. That's good. That would be good. Uh, that is a, a phenomenal use case,
0: um, but. <laughs> Well, Jay, this has been fantastic and I, I don't want to keep you too long and I think we're already keeping you longer than we promised we would. But <laughs> No, it's
2: it, totally, I love talking about this. I can talk forever and there's, yeah, there's just so much to talk about.
0: And, and the, the whole thing sounds amazing. And again, I'm, I'm going through the Rust training and I'm uh, going to get up to speed with it. I think realistically, I'm probably just going to be consuming packages, but I'm going to yeah. kind of be actively looking out for them now because I think there might be some abilities that having a WebAssembly package might allow me to bring to my app kind of like the qr code right that wouldn't be wouldn't be so easy to do otherwise you
2: know absolutely and a lot of these i think you're if you haven't already been exposed to WebAssembly, like knowingly at least um i think there will be a hype i think it's an inevitable thing you can quote me on this i think it's safe that there will be a hype cycle in the next couple years Hmm. of ui frameworks doubling down on, we're moving to WebAssembly internally, and it's going to do this and that and the other and stuff like that. There's a couple features that WebAssembly need that will improve. It's doable right now, but to really be a performance benefit, it, there's a couple things that these frameworks need that we're going to be adding to WebAssembly. And once that happens, very quickly, I think you're going to see a lot of UI frameworks um, making a lot of buzz and another round of buzz um, on this.
0: Well, if you'd be open to it, Jay, I would love to have you back on here at another interval, you know, six months, a year, whatever, sure. and we can take a look at how WebAssembly has progressed and we can we can talk about it some more.
2: Sweet. I would love to. I love talking WebAssembly.
0: Awesome. Well, that that about wraps it up for another episode of the devmode.fm podcast. To have every episode delivered to your favorite podcast player, subscribe to our RSS or subscribe via iTunes or Google Play. And if you like what we're doing, leave us a review and look for Wasm to be implemented on the devmode.fm website in the near future. You can also follow us on Twitter at devmodefm. And we'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode. Leave us a comment on the devmode.fm FM website for the devmode.fm podcast, I'm Andrew Welch. I'm Patrick Harrington. And I'm Matt Stein. And thank you very much, Jay Phelps, for coming on.
2: Wazam. <laughs> <laughs>
0: you had to you had to do it.
2: I had to do it. I had to do it. <laughs>
0: was that was awesome jay and there (laughs) i i I did have uh i mean there there definitely are like a few things that i still uh want to know about i still want to ask you about but i don't want to i don't want to keep you too long
3: sorry about the little